Well, let us unite our hearts together in prayer. Almighty God, as we enter into thy presence this day, we do so with rejoicing and with thanksgiving, because the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. We thank thee that thou hast made it possible for sinners such as us to approach thee. We thank thee for thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into this world to give his life that ransom for many. And Lord, we have done nothing worthy to merit salvation. We confess we are filthy and defiled in thy sight. But we thank thee for the Son of Righteousness, who is risen with healing in his wings. We thank thee for Christ, who ascended up the hill of Calvary and bore our sins upon his own body on that tree. And Father, as we come to thee on this thy holy day, we do pray for thy nearness and we pray for thy presence. We think of our Bible class this morning and how we need the Lord to come, how we need thy spirit to draw near to each of our hearts, how we need to be those who are taught and instructed by the Lord. So come by the power of thy spirit this day and feed our hungry souls. Give us, Father, a message from heaven this day and bless us as we wait on thee. Pardon all our sins and sanctify us by thy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're turning this morning to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Well, we'll read from the verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage? And the people imagined vain things. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Amen. And we look to the Lord to come and to bless not just the reading, but the preaching of his word to our souls this morning. There are events which have 
occurred throughout history that have quite literally shaken the world. We think of volcanoes, and there's one in Hawaii at the minute, and each time it erupts there's a shaking of the earth. We think of earthquakes that happen. We know little to nothing of that where we are in the United Kingdom, but if you live in certain parts of America or Japan, you'll live in a fault line, and you'll know quite frequently what it is for the earth to shake. But what about a prayer meeting? Is it common for a prayer meeting to cause the world to shake? In verse 31, we have it recorded for us here. And when they had prayed, when they had finished praying, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. Now, is the writer Luke here exaggerating the events of the prayer meeting? Is he trying to spiritualize what happened by saying it was such a powerful prayer meeting we felt as if the place was shaken even though it didn't really happen? Well, the Greek word used here comes from a root word which means vibration. And other uses of this word in our Bible and throughout uh, Greek literature tell us that this shaking was a literal shaking of the place where the prayer meeting happened. But this is not the only time that such occurrences have happened in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 51, at the death of Christ it says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. So whenever Christ was crucified, it was marked by a shaking of the earth. In Acts 16, verse 26, Paul and Silas were in a jail in Philippi, and we read, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. In Acts 2, we read not of an earthquake, but of another uh, witness of a natural event. We read of a rushing mighty wind entering the room on the day of Pentecost. So we're beyond doubt that this was a literal shaking of the land after this prayer meeting. But the important question is, what happened in this prayer meeting that caused the earth to shake, that caused this tremble, that caused this vibration? Remember the context here. Peter and John have been arrested. They have been brought before the same people that their Savior was brought before. Christ was examined by these people. He was found guilty. He was put to death. But God in his wonderful mercy has liberated Peter and John from their accusers. And they gather together with the saints. And they're all in one place. They're all lifting up their voice with one accord to God in prayer. And after the prayer meeting ends, there's this great vibration and this great shaking of the land. Well, I've entitled this encounter, The Prayer Meeting That Shook the World. The Prayer Meeting That Shook the World. And this isn't the only time that such an event has happened. In the 1950s, in the land of Scotland, there's a little island called the Isle of Lewis. And on that island, God poured out his spirit in mighty power. And there was a great revival. One man was greatly used by the name of Duncan Campbell. And he records that men met in a farmhouse to pray one evening. 
And as they were praying, they were weeping and laying hold of God. And all of a sudden, that farmhouse began to shake. The plates that were on the dinner rack began to tremble. These men, as they prayed, could feel the very building tremble. God visibly amongst them. Well, dear friends, God was visibly amongst the people in this room in Jerusalem as they met to pray. There's three things I want to leave with you in our Bible study this morning as we think of the prayer meeting that shook the world. First of all, I want you to notice the intercession in the prayer meeting. The intercession and several things about the intercession. Let me say, first of all, that their priority was prayer. These people, we are told in verse 24, and when they heard that, the report of Peter and John, they lifted up their voice to God. They didn't say, right, let's throw a great big dinner. Let's inform everybody. Let's put out a broadcast over the airwaves that that God has given this deliverance. No, the priority of this church was to get down to pray and to pray to God. It says, and when they heard that, who are they? Well, to say that every single believer was there would be presumptuous. Remember, there's about 5,000 people converted in Jerusalem at this stage. Not everybody would have been able to be there. And the Lord understands those whose circumstances hindering them from coming out to the prayer meeting all the time. But all the Christians who felt burdened to pray and to come before God with thanksgiving and all those who desired to petition him for blessing were in the place of prayer. And dear friend, we cannot stress this enough. Prayer must be an utmost priority in the life of a believer. Religious societies and clubs are good and they have their place. I'm in a Bible society, I'm in a Bible league, I'm in a Reformation society and I enjoy these societies and I love them. But the most important group that I can be a part of or you can be a part of is the prayer meeting of a church. And it must be so. This is the place where all the Christians should desire to be on praying ground. Coming together and seeking the face of God. Let me ask you this morning, where does God meet with men? Does he meet with us in front of the television, watching our favourite programmes or sports shows? Does he meet with us at our rock concerts, at the shopping mall? No, dear friend, I know as well as you know that God meets with men on their knees in the place of prayer. Look at every saint of God, famous or not, man or woman, and what makes them different from everybody else. What marked their life so dramatically? It was their prayer life that set them apart from those around them, that set them apart from others. They knew the importance of praying. Martin Luther, used mightily by God in the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, he told his friend Philip Melanchthon, If I didn't pray for four hours a day, Philip, I'd get nothing done. I remember years ago, whenever I heard that, I thought, well, if I prayed for four hours a day, I'd get nothing done. But how quickly you learn it's the other way around. Whenever I was a young believer, I lived off Sermon Audio. I was living in England at the time. And I lived off Sermon Audio and let the Bible speak. I loved the sermons of Dr. Paisley. 
And I remember him saying in one of his greatest sermons, Show me a man giving himself to prayer, and I'll show you a man going places for God. And I was only a young believer, but that impressed greatly upon my heart. If I'm ever to be anything for God, and I had no idea the Lord would call me into the ministry or anything like that, but if I'm ever to be anything, if I'm ever to be even a faithful Christian, I must give myself to prayer. And it's not just the case for me, dear friend, it's the case for all of us. If you want to be anything, if you want to be a faithful Christian, if you want a close walk with God, you must give yourself to prayer. It must be so. But notice in this prayer meeting, they had unity. Verse 24, it says they were there with one accord. It doesn't say they were there in great divisions. They didn't have the Baptists in one corner and the Presbyterians in another and the Pentecostals in another corner. No, they were all there with one accord. It's not that one person said, right, we need to go this direction. We need to start evangelizing this side of the world. And another said, no, we need to go and do this. No, they were all with one accord. And dear friend, whenever we come together in prayer, we must be of one accord. How do we be of one accord? Well, this book keeps us in one accord. It's by knowing Scripture, by praying over Scripture, by practicing Scripture in our life, that you and I have unity. And we must have unity whenever we come to pray. But they also had praise in their prayers, verse 24 to 27. They were praising God. Do you know if we come to pray and we don't know what it is to praise God, our prayer is nothing but selfishness, self-centeredness. It's ingratitude before the Holy God. It's ignorance of what it is to really pray. If we come to God and say, I want this, I want that, I want the other thing, we're coming to God with a shopping list and we are making the Almighty God a puppet in our hand. And the almighty God is no puppet in my hand or your hand. Dear friend, we are those who come before him and we bow down with reverence. And say, Lord, we're not worthy for the crumbs that fall off your table. But we thank you for our daily bread. We thank you for the church that you've brought us into. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that you give to us. We praise God for who he is. One of the greatest statements in the shorter catechism was a prayer by Mr. Gillespie. The the men, the Westminster divines, were meeting and they were trying to answer the question, what is God? And Mr. Gillespie in his prayer said, Lord, we thank you that you are a spirit, infinite, eternal and unchangeable in thy being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness and truth. And they made that the answer to the question but dear friend if how often do we pray over those wonderful attributes of the lord how often do we praise him for his wisdom and his power how often do we really praise him for the cross of course we mention it in every prayer but how often does it really grip our hearts the son of god he loved me he died for me i remember As a little boy, I made that Christmas list of all the presents I wanted from somebody I didn't realize was my parents at the time. And I got a lot of things that were on my list. 
But after opening uh, all the presents, I sat down and very foolishly made a thing, made a list of all the things I didn't get, and that I was going to persuade my parents I didn't get these things. I need these things. There I had a, a room full of presents, more toys than I could ever play with. And yet I made a list of the things I didn't get. How often do we do that as Christians? How often do we fail to see what the Lord has blessed us with? How often are we guilty of saying, well, you've given me nine of the ten things, but I still haven't got that. And I'm not going to be happy till I get it. We should be a people full of praise for God. These people knew what it was to submit to the will of the Lord in their prayers. In verse 28, they realized that Christ going to the cross was part of the great plan of God. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined beforehand to be done. They realized that God is in control. God has a plan and a purpose and they submit to this plan. And so often today, Christians, they lack submission to the will of God in prayers. Lord, I want you to do this for me. Rather than saying, Lord... Thy will be done. We must know submission in our prayer life. But notice in this prayer meeting, they also knew what it was to petition God. Verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of of thy holy child Jesus. I count four petitions. In these two verses here. They say first of all. Lord behold their threatenings. Lord look and see the people that are against us. Look and see those who are threatening my children. Look at those p- people who are seeking to hinder the gospel. Lord look upon our need here. And what a petition that is. There's not a church in our land. That doesn't need the Lord to look upon our need. Because if we think, oh, we're doing mighty well by ourselves, we're shutting the Lord out. We need to say, Lord, come and and behold our need here. The second petition we can say is this. Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. These men came and said, Lord, we need boldness to preach for you. We need boldness to speak in the name of Jesus. Remember these were the disciples who at the arrest of Christ had run away. They they were afraid. Uh, They were terrified of the Romans and of the Jews. And they say Lord grant boldness for the preachers. That they may speak thy word. Not their word. Not the message that people want to hear. But the word of God. And we need that today. Throughout the world. Those who are preaching the gospel are being persecuted. In lands like India and Nepal, the enemies of the gospel think nothing of going and murdering the pastor, thinking that'll silence the Christians. We maybe know little to nothing of it here in the West, in America or in Scotland. We come to church and we maybe even haven't taken a thought for our life if somebody's going to try and put a bomb in our church and blow us up. But we still need boldness to speak. Because there's a grouping in society today. And they're seeking to silence the gospel. You're not allowed to say that about the homosexuals. You're not allowed to say that about abortion. They're trying to silence us. Under the name of toleration. The third petition we can say is this. 
by stretching forth thine hand to heal. Lord, come and heal this nation. Lord, come and heal the sinners who have sinned against thee with the wonderful balm of salvation. Heal, Lord. Fourth petition we can say is this, that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Lord, let there be signs following the preaching of the gospel. Lord, as we go forth and speak thy word, let us see conversions. Let us see sinners tremble in thy presence. Let us see thy spirit coming and moving in the hearts of men. These prayers were not empty, shallow, vain prayers. No, these were men and women who knew what it was to lay hold on God. They didn't come and pray for vengeance upon the enemies of the gospel. No, they prayed for their salvation. And a Christian is somebody who's concerned with mercy for others. We think of David and Saul. How often Saul tried to kill David. And David could have taken his revenge upon Saul. There were two occasions David could have taken his life, but he showed him mercy. And the Christian is one who desires mercy for others. Pray for them that persecute you, is what our Saviour taught us. This prayer meeting that shook the world, they knew the power of intercession. And dear friend, if we're ever to have an impact in our community here, if you're ever to have an impact in Orlando, if I'm ever to have an impact in Gardenstown in Scotland, dear friend, we need to know the power of intercession with God. We need to know what it is to lay hold of him. Secondly, here today, let us think about the impact of the prayer meeting. Now let me say, first of all, that there was a visible demonstration after the prayer meeting. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. After they prayed, there was a visible demonstration from the hand of God. Matthew Henry says, um, the shaking of the place was designed to strike an awe upon them, to awaken and raise their expectations, and to give them a sensible token that God was with them. God came and showed that he was with them. And dear friend, God still gives us visible demonstrations as a result of our prayers. I don't mean the building shaking. I don't mean that we'll uh, have charismatic gifts or anything like that. I mean that God still shows us tokens whereby he answers our prayers in the saving of sinners. Nothing is more amazing in this world than a man who is dead in his trespasses and sins, gloriously converted and made alive in Jesus Christ. Whenever the prophet Ezekiel was in, taken into that valley of dry bones, he was looking out over corpses, dry bones, there wasn't even flesh and the Lord said to him, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, yea, Lord, thou knowest. And Ezekiel was told, go and preach to these bones. So he preached and he preached his heart out. And these bones became living bones. Flesh was upon them. Breath was in their lungs. And I tell you, the greatest miracles that we see in our land and nation is a man or woman who lives for sin and lives for themselves, gloriously converted by the power of the gospel, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and made a new creature in Christ. But it ceases to amaze us sometimes, doesn't it? 
can become all too familiar. Oh yes, there's another convert. That's not another convert. That's a walking miracle. And each one of us here today, born again of the Spirit of God, I tell you, you're walking miracles. Because you didn't become a believer by yourself. You became a believer because God laid hold on you and made you born again. And dear friends, whenever we pray, we're praying for miracles. We're praying for sinners who are dead. Dry bones to be made alive. We need to see more visible demonstrations. And we need to pray for them. But these men, they also received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, it says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, this is something of a controversy in our modern day, certainly with Pentecostals. Whenever a person is converted, they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. But believers are filled with the Spirit time and time again. And that's a very simple explanation of it. I'm not going into a sermon on this here today. These people in the prayer meeting had already received the Spirit at conversion, but now they're being filled with the Holy Ghost because God has a job for them to do, a task for them, and they need the help of the Spirit. And dear friends, we need the help of the Spirit. As a church, we cannot be those who go forward outside of the Spirit. We cannot be a church that denies the third person of the Trinity present with us. We need the Holy Ghost. We need him to sanctify us. We need him to lead us in all truths. These men, verse 31 says, they received boldness to witness and they spake the word of God with boldness. Do you know it's a fearful thing to stand before men? It's, it's easy in a church settings where you've all come to hear and, and uh, I have a reason to expect that very few of you are going to take out a knife to me at the door. But it's a lot different whenever you're going back 2,000 years to Jerusalem and you're standing in the synagogue or you're standing on the street corner and you're preaching the gospel and telling men they're sinners and telling men that they've crucified the Son of God. I tell you, that would be a frightening thing. I do a little open air preaching in Scotland not as often as I would like but as often as I'm able to and it's amazing that one of the towns I go to has the biggest heroin problem in the whole of Europe and the problem is they've too much money that's why they've a drug problem but where I stand in the open air there's seldom a time goes past that there's not one person comes and gives me some form of opposition. The last time I was there, there was this man driving round in his car in a circle, and it's a one-way system, beeping his horn trying to interrupt me, and he was trying to show me one of his fingers, I'll not tell you which one, but he was showing me one of his fingers, and he thought I didn't see him the first time, so he drove round the second time to make sure that I definitely saw him. One of the times previous to that, there was a man, he marched the whole way up the street, and I could see that he was making a beeline for me, the arms were going, and he stood just a couple of inches off my face and he wasn't happy. Wasn't happy with the preaching of the gospel. You shouldn't be out here. You shouldn't be saying these things. Leave people alone. Leave them in peace. We need boldness to witness. We need boldness to stand for God and preach the gospel. And we need the infilling of the Spirit to do it. But they also received 
or verse 33 says, And with great power give the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. With great power. And dear friends, that's what we need in our preaching today. That's what each preacher wants as he gets into the pulpit, as he stands in the open air. They want power. We want to be done with lifeless sermons. We want to be done with lifeless meetings. We need power again. How often do we pray in our own private time, in our public prayer meeting, that the Lord would give power to the preacher? Well, it's very easy to walk out the door and say, well, I didn't get anything from that today. Very easy to walk out and say, well, I think that preacher's had it. He should go and get himself another job. It's very easy to sit and criticize the preacher. Very easy to sit and criticize the one who has prepared the word. But how often have we prayed that the one who's standing in the pulpit would have power in proclaiming the gospel? An old preacher says, you only get the sermons that you pray for. Is that true of us? We need power. But they also received grace. Verse 33 of Acts 4 says, And great grace was upon them all. Great grace. Not just a little amount of great grace. Great grace was upon them all. And dear friends, this is the truth. A man or woman who spends time in the presence of God in prayer will know great grace upon their souls. They'll know peace. They'll know contentment. And as a result, they will go out and display grace. Sometimes the reason we're snappy with other people. Sometimes the reasons we're argumentative or quarrelsome. It's because we haven't been in the presence of the Lord. And great grace hasn't met with us that day. Or maybe not even that week. Well these people who were in this prayer meeting in Acts 4. They knew great grace upon their souls. The third thing I want to bring to your attention this morning. About the prayer meeting that shook the world. We've thought of the intercession in the prayer meeting. The impact of the prayer meeting. Let us think finally of the impression the prayer meeting made on those who were there. Whenever a man or woman comes face to face with the living God in prayer, an impression is made upon their life, and they're never the same again. Whenever Moses went up the mount and spent time in the presence of God, his face shone and he knew it not, and he was never the same again. His face didn't shine whenever he was chasing sheep in the wilderness. No, his face shone when he was in the presence of God. Jacob was changed to Israel, a prince with God, whenever he wrestled with God, praying to him. He wasn't made a prince with God when he was stealing his brother's blessing. No, only by praying. Hannah was granted the blessing of a child whenever she came and wept before the Lord, not whenever she was arguing with her adversary. If somebody was absent from this prayer meeting in Acts 4, they would have missed the impression the Holy Spirit left upon the souls who were in that meeting. Can you imagine being one who said, I'll not bother going to that prayer meeting tonight, I'll go tomorrow night. And then you meet people the next day and they're full of grace, full of boldness, full of the power of the Spirit. 
and you meet other people and they're all the same. And you're sitting thinking, I wish I'd been at that prayer meeting last night. They received a blessing that I didn't get. Think of Thomas. Whenever the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, Thomas wasn't there the first time. He missed that meeting. He had to spend a whole week listening to the disciples full of joy. We've seen Christ. We know he's risen. And Thomas was saying within his own head, I wasn't there. I missed the sight of Christ. I missed his presence. I missed the blessing. Oh dear friend, how terrible it would be if God came down in power in a prayer meeting in this church and you weren't here to receive the blessing. If God came and and impacted the souls of believers in such a way that they're never the same again. And you missed it. These disciples were left with a singleness of heart. Verse 32. It says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. This prayer meeting brought the church, if it wasn't together already, in unity. One heart and one soul. And that's what we need. We don't need to see churches divided. We don't need to see brethren falling out. There's an old saying. A family that prays together stays together. And just as that's true in family life. As we gather our family around the family altar. So it is true in church life. A church family that prays together will stay together. They'll be united. Because dear friends prayer does not divide people. Prayer unites people. And it will unite us. It also made them a sharing community. Verse 32. Neither said any of them. That all of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. Prayer softens our heart. It removes pride. It removes selfishness. It makes us more Christ like. Then we can also say. We'll not take time to look at it. But they supplied the needs of others. Verse 34 to 37. The example of Barnabas. Having land sold it. And brought the money and laid it at the feet of the apostles. The impression of this prayer meeting. Give them a love for their brethren. Coming to a close. Here this morning of our Bible class. This was an urgent prayer meeting. For the early church. This was a time of great need, a time of urgency. And they came and they prayed for God to move. And he came. Well, perhaps as a congregation here, you're in a time of great need. A time for God to come and move. How can you do it? Certainly evangelism is important. Certainly remaining faithful, we we must do all these things. But the answer is prayer. Prayer. Maybe on an individual level this morning. You're in in a time of great need in your own life. There's great urgency for some problem. Maybe you're in a place of despair and despondency. Maybe there's trouble in your life. Maybe there's sin that has come in. And you feel like you're a million miles away from God. And you said I wish my life was shook by the power of God this morning. Well, dear friend, how will that ever happen? It'll happen in the place of prayer. What do we need as a church? We don't need gimmicks. We don't need games. 
We don't need music and drama to try and draw the people in. No, dear friends, we need God to come. And we need to pray for God to come. Because nothing else will do. Man cannot engineer revival. If salvation is ever to come to Orlando, if you're ever to see a mighty moving of God, I tell you it'll begin in the place of prayer. One of the things I'm enjoying studying in Scotland where we live is the revivals of Scotland in the past. I hope to speak to you on the Campus Lang revival uh, sometime that I'm here. But each revival, I've noticed this, always begins with prayer. Always. God moves his people to pray and after prayer revival. And dear friend, you'll never see revival in Orlando without prayer. So let us be those who give ourselves continually to prayer. Don't miss a prayer meeting. Don't be absent from the prayer meeting. Because it might be that you miss the blessing. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask thee today to forgive us even for the coldness of our hearts so often in the place of prayer. Deliver us from all those times when prayer has just been a formality. When we haven't known what it is to pray on and pray through. Like Jacob of old, wrestle with thee all night. And say, Lord, we will not let thee go except thy bless us. Revive our own hearts in the place of prayer. We know that so often there's a million things we can find to do to keep us from praying. But Lord, let us be those who put fellowship with the Lord first and foremost in our lives. Write thy word upon our hearts and pardon all our sins. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.